So the hybrid work is still creating some changes for companies, which we see that CEO, HR, team lead, head of department, they are all struggling for the same thing, which basically is bringing their whole team together at the office because all the time there is one that is out or they want to have that remote work that day, etc. And so team retreats allows that because it's clearly another benefits for them. At the end, it's not only about working, it's, uh, it's about team bonding, it's about doing activities together, doing a cooking class, doing surf lesson, doing a hiking of a volcano. Hi, I'm Amanda Kua, and this is One More Scoop. Here, we're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. Florian Jack is the co-founder and CEO of Midstay, a tech platform for remote workers that helps companies and individuals break through the isolation of working remotely. They allow any company to easily arrange breathtaking team retreats to gather their teams. These retreats help keep employees engaged, boost company culture, and reduce turnover. Individuals gain access to Midstay's self-serve platform to connect with like-minded remote workers nearby easily get started in a new city, expand their professional network, and make the most out of remote work without ever feeling lonely. Hi, Florian. So nice to get to speak with you today. It's finally when we can meet face-to-face, at least virtually. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me to the show. It's so great to meet you. Well, I always had questions about you ever since you did the icebreakers, because for one, what you're doing is really, really unique from like, at least compared to everything that we've covered so far. And I think your story is also quite unique. So I think the first question I really want to ask is what was your childhood like? What were the influences of your parents on you? Like what were their jobs and what did your life really look like at the time? That's a great question. So I actually, I'm kind of born into this uh, entrepreneur mindset, uh, luckily. And so yeah, my my father is into that financial industry. He's into hotels in Brussels. So I basically am born from that, I would say, like very practical and financial uh, model. And then I had my mom who is like much more creative, like she's been uh, interacting. And so that's where I got my all my, I would say, like creativity and, and passion about art because I've been studying graphic design. And so, yeah, uh, I guess this is a, a bit of mix of both and my mom basically uh, got me at 26 years old and she was just out of school. She had her first job and after a few years, because she was pregnant, she got uh, fired because she had me. So after a few months, she started a boutique, like what do you call that, a retail shop of clothes in Belgium uh, with her, one of our best friends. And for 20 years, she actually did that. And at 40 years, and that shows how agile she is and, and also maybe how I'm born into that kind of mindset, she switched her career path and she's back into something much more manual, which is called restoration of like old sofa. I don't know how we call that in English. Garnisseur in French. So this is basically what she's currently doing, uh, just finding more happiness and in like mixing our old uh, fabrics and, and bringing some old sofa back to life. So was your childhood a lot of like influence into the entrepreneurial side or do you think you were more artistic growing up? 
that again that's very interesting because I, I feel that clearly I got all my artistic passion uh, and I have been clearly driven and passionate and inspired by, by my mom that actually uh, got me into the art and then I was actually at the very first time I was gaming at 15 years old I basically dropped out school because of playing too much PlayStation so as I was actually at that time creating a team of like 100 people playing with me on Call of Duty and that I didn't have my PlayStation anymore because my parents removed me to just focusing on school. I actually keep while playing with my team, not only playing on the PlayStation, but actually creating already some visuals for YouTube banner at the time. And so that's how actually I got introduced to all about Photoshop and all these tools that allowed me to create some graphics. Um, and then at 16 years old, I actually moved from that school to already follow that graphic art path which was much more focusing on printing, not digital. And at 18 years old, starting uni, I've been focusing and choosing that path in a private school in Brussels that allowed me basically to uh, focus on digital art, UX UI mainly. And I got a lot of opportunities thanks to that, mainly abroad. And that's where I always wanted to go. It's like basically mixing my work and traveling at the same time from abroad. So I guess to reply to the question, I, I got influenced by my mom for sure. Uh, but I always like to start projects and leading projects because even you saw at 15, I was actually leading a team of 100 snipers, as we call them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I always like to gather people together on a project, I would say. And that's the, the, the first thing. And then in the meantime as well, since I'm like yeah, 15, 16, my father, it was in accounting at that time and was organizing a music festival. 2009, started a music festival. I mean, at that time, it was not even a music festival. It was just called a, a small, tiny concert with 50 friends in front of a teeny stage. And I was just making the entrance. And then the second year, we did it with like 100 friends. And then the third year, we did it with even more uh, people around it. And basically, year by year, after the fourth, five year, I was helping him with all the communication, all the marketing, and all that to bring more people in this no-code festival. And after the six years, I actually joined him as an organizer. and. Uh, in 2018, I actually joined as the main director because I wanted to push it too far, to, for him at least. So he stepped down and stepped back as a manager of the VIP uh, area. And with my brother, in 2019, we made it from 5,000 people in 2018 to 20,000 people in 2019. Okay, that's a lot. So another proof <laughs> of like, yeah, exactly. Another example of like a project, artistical project that become kind of like a financial uh, idea and, and concept as well. So when you missed a year of school trying to play like Call of Duty and video games, did your parents know that you were not at school or did you like just go out of the house and then play somewhere else? <laughs> I, no, no, I was actually going to school. The thing is that I was just playing all night and I was just not focused at school whenever I was behind the bench. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's like you practically missed a year of school because like the information was not in your head and you were not really studying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. And you know, like, I think there is something that's already also like shaped me quite a lot is that whenever I do something, I like to do it fully. And so whenever I'm passionate, I'm just going full on. And, and that's maybe also why I just like removed that part of my uh, year, which was actually school. But honestly, like, I'm super happy that it did happen because thanks to that, I, I found my past much earlier than a lot of other of my friends actually did it. And I maybe, I don't know, like save two, three years, uh, things to that. And how did you actually start getting super into like Call of Duty? Like, I mean, there are lots of kids who just play and then keep playing with their group of friends. But how do you go to a team of like 100 or 150 players? How did that that's even a, happen? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a very good question because it was a long time ago at 15, no, I'm 27. 
so yeah, I guess like I just started with a few friends and then I saw on new YouTube was very new at this time as well. So I was really like interested about these channels that were getting bigger, gaining some followers. And so I just started this one. And by the way, the channel is still there. It's called Extra Sniping. So if you want to check. <laughs> <laughs> we had around like 5,000 followers at the time. That was quite big at this time. Uh, and yeah, I, I, it's quite funny because like two weeks ago, I was showing that to a few friends. I didn't see that since a long time. And I was seeing myself at like 15 doing some <laughs> kind of vlog. It's like, <laughs> was so funny. But yeah, that's, uh, I don't know how I started. I just, I think I'm just like that. And I like to bring people around the project. And it happened like that. I didn't want and I didn't have the vision to actually bring it that far. But at the beginning, I was really bringing some people and playing with them. And then it happened like that. I think like I watched a video of Mr. Beast and he was started like he's super famous now, like millions of people. But I think he also started in a similar way, right? Like he just made commentary of videos and started posting it and posting it. So maybe in another life, if you continued it, <laughs> you'd be to the same level of popularity. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> 5,000 yeah. back then is a lot. Yeah. So what happened after? So you went back to school, but I think you can't really give up the group of people that you've already gotten together, right? So was like converting into a 3D designer your way of connecting with them? How come you decided to, to pursue that? Were they asking you to make it? <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. Actually, that's something that I was quite sad to be very honest once my parents told me and, and announced me that I won't be able to play anymore because I need to focus on school, right? Um, and at the time, I was like, just shit, how should I actually can come up with a new idea to keep connecting with these people that I actually have a strong connection with them. Even though I'm just playing with them, I, I like to just have a conversation with them. It was clearly online friendship, right? Which at the time, again, was a bit weird also, right? <laughs> and yeah, so I came up with this idea of like, okay, look, I've been doing my own banner on YouTube for the channel of, uh, of the team. So there is actually a lot of other channels like that that are in a need. So I actually started working like that. I actually made money out of that. And I, in the, at the same time, I was actually able to, to keep connecting and keep leading the team because I was still had the link to the gaming side of it. So that's how it all kept going for another, um, I would say, uh, two years after that. And then I just decided to focus on, on tech and startups. And so that's also why I just like left at the time. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how much money did you make from it? Like from YouTube banners? I mean, it was very early at the time too. So how much would it cost? I have a very interesting story around that, actually. <laughs> I made about 5,000 USD at the time. 5,000 USD. Yeah. To be honest, like at the time as a student of uh, 15, 16 years old, it was quite a lot of money. And I was like, that that actually helped me at 18, my, my very first time allowed to be in Tomorrowland. Do you know Tomorrowland, the music festival? The, yeah, the festival. Yeah, I'm from Belgium, right? So it's just next door. So with friends, we were actually so excited about that. And we told ourselves, okay, at 18, we will all go together. And that money helped us actually to get there. Oh, okay. And how long did it take for you to make the 5,000 USD? It's two years? Mm, that took a year and a half, I, I would say. Yeah. I mean, it's still a huge amount for just one kind of product, right? Just the banners. <laughs> and it was and it was honestly like uh, just a hobby, right? And that was yeah. just, I was, that allowed me just to keep contact with, with my bunch of friends. Like the money is just a bonus. The real value is to connect with your friends. Okay. And then, so while you were doing that, you went back to school and then you went to university for design, right? Yeah. What did you have planned after that? Did you want to stay in Belgium? Did you not even think about what your future plans look like? Like, where was your head at? 
So I've been always driven by travel. I think that always inspired me. And, and you know, like at, at the time that I switched school from 15 to 16, I already moved to a city that was quite far uh, from my hometown. And so that's already already allowed me to be quite independent at the time. So at, at 16, 17, 18, I was already living by myself uh, in a very small flat next to the school of graphic design and shoes. And that was quite a change at this time. And then basically when I came at the uni, I was like, okay, I want to find a uni that will actually allow me to have firstly a different view on the education. I was not a, a big fan of the of the system, of the global education of like, you know, you have this kind of homework, you have this thing. And, and really I love like just learning by doing, right? And theoretical things and things like that are important, but not too much to me. I mean, not too often and things like that, right? Yeah. So proper university and friends that were doing uh, medical school and things like that was not for me. I was really like, like I was, wow, that you can do that. I'm not able to do this. But indeed, that's why I really wanted to choose a school that basically allowed me to face directly my work and learning from what I was doing. So I found this school called CAD in Brussels, which basically is a different concept as other schools. It brings professionals and, and industry leaders uh, in Europe that teach you for a few hours every week. So basically they are not teachers. They have their own job. They have their own big agency of design. They have their own uh, startups. They have their own. And so basically it's professionals that comes and teach some kids to how works is all life is working. Because of something that I understood a lot from friends after doing uni is that they go out of uni and they can't do anything because they just know theory, right? And yeah. so that's really what I think gave, gave me an edge here is that I was able to apply things that I was learning at school, but that I was actually doing already for clients. And that was really tangible work already at that time. And also this school actually allowed me to, it was part of the courses. Basically every year we were doing some external travel and experiences. So workshop in Shanghai, for example. Uh, we did also a trip in New York. And so basically all these trips were, firstly, I love traveling and I think I've been tra traveling quite a lot with my parents before. And so that allowed me to just have an open mind of what's happening and not staying in my bubble and so being inspired as well and things like that. And so I wanted to find a school that allowed me that and that actually I found that there. So yeah, so I guess this is also the next step is that thanks to this experience of school that allowed me to go in these places, New York, Shanghai, all that, I credit already my professional network that allowed me to actually have my own gigs already thanks to that. And one of most gig after gig, I actually ended up in San Francisco where actually a lot before starting my own venture. So that's uh, <laughs> that's where I've been going to. Oh, this is a really cool university. I mean, so do you have to go to classes every day? Or is it only a few hours on certain days and then the other days are for working? <laughs> That's also why I really loved, you know, like teachers were our friends and they were super strict, right? They were strict on the deadline and on the outcome and on like the objectives. But at the end, it's kind of like reflecting what we see today. We are not in an old fashioned way of working nowadays. We are in a remote work, async work. And so at the end, what counts is like what's been done at the end and what's does, is it the work done at the end? Yes or no? We don't really care and we don't want to track and micromanage like all the different hours you pass on it. If the work is done after two hours and you we plan for 10, that's fine, right? Uh, you have more time to actually enjoy and have time off and or just on doing some other gig next to it. Uh, so that's actually what really matched with my, I would say, personality at the time. And um, so indeed, we were not obligated to go all the time at school. We didn't have like fixed schedules. Uh, but we were coming because we wanted to just move on the projects and we wanted as well. That's also great because basically that school really give that sense of like, uh, okay, actually I, I need to go at school because I want to learn from these guys. 
they are actually so interesting that I don't want to miss a day at school. And that's what makes me like completely shifting of mindset. Like, wow, how a school can actually give that kind of like effect on, on, on a student. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Like, I wish that a lot of people had that experience. I mean, a lot of the times it's just the same professors teaching some things. And I think it's also very cool that you thought of that before, because I think I've only been hearing over the past years nowadays where people are speaking of saying, oh, the classes are not very practical. The professors don't have professional experience or the classes don't actually make sense in the real world when they graduate and they, they only have a degree. But you, you're able to come to that realization earlier on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I've been super lucky to be honest. I cannot say I was actually uh, controlling it. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that you brought up was that you really like traveling. So how young were you when you traveled and how often would you travel with your family? So yeah, I guess like my, my very first travel was around, I would say, two or three years old. Coming from Belgium, so Europe is not far. We, I mean, Europe around, like countries around us, we can really go from one place to the other even just by taking the car so I think it's not only about like going in like dreamy places or tropical places exotic places it's just like about changing the routine and just like moving and I think that feeling of like okay I'm not stuck I'm like I'm feeling that I'm actually uh, going out of my comfort zone and I think that's something that since the beginning I, I really enjoyed and I kind of got addicted of it where I feel so inspired by actually doing this uh, movement and, and travel that that's it. I think that's, that's why I wanted to find a school that allowed me to do that. I wanted to find a world that allowed me to do that. And so, yeah, uh, that's mainly because I'm born into this with my parents that were doing that, which was only for vacation, by the way. It was not like relocating as expatriate, not at all. I mean, my parents were working in Belgium uh, and we were taking a few vacations. It was not even a lot. It was, I would say, like one or two a, a year. But just the, the fact that they kind of like introduced me to that way of living and to just be open with like the other culture, foreign culture and, and, and learning from that, I think opened me some barriers, I would say. So now I have two questions. One, what was your favorite place to travel with your family growing up? And second, what was the most interesting travel experience you had? That could be um, a good kind of interesting or a bad kind of interesting, just just interesting. <laughs> okay, okay, good. All right, so I think the best place I ever traveled with my parents, it's not about the place itself. I mean, it's just because it was kind of recurring. Every Christmas we were going together because all my family hates winter in Belgium. <laughs> so we were, we were actually chasing the sun and uh, we are going uh, every year to uh, Lanzarote or Fuerteventura, which is uh, either, uh, both of them are Canary Islands. And so in Spain, I mean, in front of Morocco, there are islands that are owned by Spain. This place, why? Because I, I kind of like got introduced to uh, the surf there. So I've been surfing quite a lot over there. And uh, the, that was quite interesting because there are small islands, so you can just take the car and kind of do some road trips easily. Um, so yeah, I feel it was one of my best place uh, with my, my family and where I have the, most of my memories with them uh, by traveling. And then the most interesting travel I ever did, okay, I maybe have two actually, but I used to travel with my best friend and this guy is very adventurous. It's called Nathan. And he basically, we've been to uh, Peru in uh, South America. We were there for like two or three weeks. And um, at one point we were traveling from like one point to the other in Peru and we're doing a road trip over there. Only by bus, by the way, just by a uh, night bus. Very interesting experience. <laughs> 
like uh, I can already, already imagine <laughs> they were driving crazy honestly like sometimes I really thought we would not just wake up the day after like <laughs> crazy but uh, one day we were in one of these bus and we met two French girls that told us like look we are going to Bolivia uh, there is this uh, bicycle uh, track called uh, uh, this this road they were like oh okay interesting uh, and so like but our plan is done already we have uh, another week and we we do the road trip and we go back to the, the capital of uh, Peru uh, Lima and and then we uh, we go back home we go back in Belgium and then during the whole night we actually spoke with them we play cards and stuff and so at the end they're like okay I just stay in the bus just stay with us and we go to Bolivia they're like okay what should we do and then actually we did it for another two days so we did like uh, a small uh, crossover there uh, and we did this track called the Death Road with like mountain bikes, just super, super nice. But it was, uh, that's also basically that was a lesson to me. Like this experience was more that, okay, actually we just should be agile. If we actually feel uh, from our guts that's actually a nice thing to do, let's just do it. And let's just not be stuck in our box with the plan we did. Uh, and that was, that was a bit the lesson I, I got out of it. And uh, that was actually an amazing experience. And I love spontaneous things. So it was just like so cool actually to just, did two countries instead of one how are you a spontaneous person is it only in travel or even like in other things i think i am yeah it's very hard to say right and i don't want to say about myself stuff right so but i think <laughs> i'm kind of spontaneous i like to do road trips i like to do uh, things that are not so planned i like to stick to plan for sure I, I will not change plans but if there is things that are actually not disturbing a plan and that could actually be a, an add-on or enhancing the plan I, i'd love to do it Mm, I think it's less a spontaneous and I think you're just open-minded. <laughs> maybe. That's maybe yes. the better word. <laughs> <laughs> so you also did a music festival, right? And it's very interesting because when I heard about it first, I think that was in the Icebreakers interview, I did not expect that the festival was by your dad. You know, when I think of a festival, it's always a very, very young thing, but it's very cool that your dad started it. So what is the story for of the music festival like? How did your dad decide to start it? <laughs> yeah, so as I mentioned quickly earlier, is basically my, my dad started that in 2009. Um, and again, it was not at all about creating a music festival. It was just about bringing friends together in front of one of his friend artists that were at the time playing music. And so at the time it was 2009, so I had like uh, 13 years old. And so I was the very first uh, year of, of festival. It was not really a festival, it was a concert. I was just helping for entrance tickets. And then he, he was like, okay, so look, it's so cool. Like we're helping the village because we are doing that in the village. So it was not only something where we're bringing friends together, but it was something really that was also helping the local community. And I think my father is, is, is a lot about that and he likes to give back. So that was a big thing for him. And that was the driver for the whole music festival. So we were all the time trying to help the local uh, business and, and things like that. But so year by year, we actually grew that from one stage, one artist, 50 people. Two artists, one stage, 100 people. Four artists, one stage, two days, 200 people. And so it's been like that for a few years until five years. At the fifth years, we actually end up with like, was around 3,000 uh, people with two days of festival, two stages. Uh, and then at that time, I was helping him for all about communication, marketing, uh, managing the radio spot, managing the partnership, the sponsor, the artist lineup, and things like that. And so it happened to, to grow and grow and grow. We even had to actually move the music festival from one spot to the other because it was just getting too bad oh my for the <laughs> So we actually, for the last year, 2018 to 2019, as I was uh, mentioning just earlier, is that my father wanted to step down because it's like flow. You just want to push it too far. 
and <laughs> tallying up his three friends that are, by the way, still there, but no, there is like 6,000 other people around them. <laughs> <laughs> so basically we wanted with my brother that is like two years or younger than me, we wanted to push it for a 10 years a proper edition of anniversary and to make it in the castle of Sonnet, which is the same village, by the way, we have a oh. castle in the village and we brought the music festival in that uh, beautiful castle over there. So we brought it at this time as well from two days to three days festival, two stages to three stages. And we had uh, from 5,000 festival goers in 2018, 20,000 festival goers, but also was one of the biggest challenge. It was not only the, the number of people we wanted to gather, it was clearly the number of people you needed to manage because we were coming from 100 volunteers to 500 volunteers. Uh, oh, we're, yes. we're coming from like managing 50 policemen to 150 policemen. And at that time I had 23 years old, my, my brother 21, uh, and we had like 50 managers below us. Again, it's a completely different idea than a startup. Like these people are not paid and we're not paying ourselves neither. So it was really about giving back to the local community. So like the driven factor was clearly about social impact. Uh, and that was just so beautiful because firstly, I mean, beautiful. It was amazing, but it brings a lot of changes. First thing first, you want them to be there at 8 a.m., they are not paid. If they come at 9, what could you say? Yes. There is nothing to say. So you just need to deal with that. And you just need to basically bring your vision and bring the fact that you're federating and gathering people. That is actually not for you because you're not earning money either. It's for everyone. It's a community thing. And so actually a lot of people play the game. I would say like out of 500 people, maybe we had like five or 10 people max that were sometimes late, but everyone was playing the, playing the game. Oh, wow. Okay. I was already impressed because you were 23 and then you had like 20,000, 20,000, right? People attending the event, three days, 500 people under you. And then I think the business plan was like a million dollars. And then now that I hear everybody was unpaid and that was really to give back, I feel like that's already, that's like, I don't know, 10 times harder because it's very hard to motivate people when there's no monetary incentive. And I think it just goes to show like what kinds of preparation you're able to have before you got to start your own business. <laughs> there, was, there was a big challenge. And I think one of the biggest one that we don't even uh, mention here is that we're in Belgium. Like risk of rain is high, really? super high. Oh so, my goodness. So you need to also think about plan B and plan C of what's happening if it's raining there. Like, and, and so we had to have a lot of structures and a lot of facilities that were basically helping festival goers to not be upset because they were paying at uh, entrance fee. So yeah, that was, <laughs> was a lot of things to, to think at the same time. And I think what, what was also one of the biggest challenges I would say comparing to what I'm doing currently in tech is that you cannot really test any theory. You have one year to prepare three days of festival. If you screw it, you screwed. Like, I mean, yeah. like, there it only is happens no way once. Back. You can't exactly. tell people to come back next week. <laughs> exactly. And then you take the feedback after for sure. But then you have another year to prepare it and you take yeah. it back consideration. And that's like, and the, and the sponsors, right? They're waiting for that event for the whole year. Yeah. All that is like a huge pressure, I would say. And then, but it's super interesting because it, it also learned me a lot in like being super precise and details oriented to make sure that everything was perfect for the day uh, that we were actually happening the festival. So that was the last festival, I think in 2019, right? And at that time, you had also done like a lot of different roles in design, UI, UX. Like I saw you had like tons of internships, even at a young age. And then you just really went up there working across like Europe, then in the US and New York and San Francisco. So 2019, 23, 
last day of the festival. What happened in 2020 that made you decide that you want to, you know, stop continuing the festival and stop at least the current way that you were doing your work and decide to want to start, a, I guess, decide to start something of your own someday? Yeah. So I think like what really uh, made the switch was the fact that late 2019 and early 2020 with my family, I mean, my mom, you can imagine, like imagine also my mom part of this festival uh, <laughs> discussion. Every lunch, every dinner, we were speaking about that. And she, she also was super annoyed. Anyway, it was just a, a quick bracket. But one thing that happened is that early, late 2019, we actually did the um, financial bilan and, and like financial closing. And we understood that indeed it was great to do that and we were like break even, but it was a lot of risk for not a lot of money we could earn for the community. So basically, and it was, everything was actually on our funds. So if something were wrong, it was not the community paying back. We were actually uh, responsible for it and liable. So it was a lot of financial risk. Uh, and so we decided at the end to just, okay, it was a huge learnings for us. And that's the value we got out of it. And so we are super grateful of that, but it was time to just move on on something else. So on my side, I decided to focus on, on my tech projects and my tech plans that were in San Francisco and New York. And so I early 2020, I was basically invoicing these clients from my company back in Belgium that, by the way, I set up at 18 because my father at the time I was doing graphical uh, banner for YouTube told me, Flo, you need to invoice it because you're going to do that. Uh, you need to have a proper... Oh, you have to register the business. Exactly. So from that uh, company that I started in eight, at 18 years old, I actually um, invoiced this client in the US. And um, early 2020, I decided to take a flight to Bali because I just wanted to avoid winter in Belgium. Um, so February 2020, I'm heading off to Bali with a one-flight ticket and a month after COVID hit. So I kept working for my clients. I decided to not take my rep repatriation flights uh, that were recommended by Belgium. And I stayed um, in a beautiful villa facing Riceville. And not to complain at all, it was a beautiful experience and I'm super happy I did it. Uh, but basically, instead of staying one or two months, I stayed 18 months in Bali. And you're still there stuck. now, right? And I'm still here now. Yes. So indeed, that, that changed my whole uh, perspective and my whole career in life, I would say. And, and I'm super grateful for that. But it was a bit of a bet as well. I mean, like we were at the, at the time, like February, like March, April, May 2020, where the COVID was super new. We were hearing from tourists in India that some locals were beating them because they thought they were they were bringing the corona. So in, in, in different countries as well, not only there. So we were like, okay, but actually, like, is it really a good decision to do that? We didn't know at all about Indonesia at the time. So we were like, okay, is it a good thing to stay here? But we did it, and and I'm super happy. I wouldn't I wouldn't change my my decision uh, now. And yeah, so after eight months, I kept working for my clients remotely. And uh, and after eight months, I actually met my co-founder, Magnus, who is a CTO of Tilden nowadays. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, a small story around that as well. Uh, we are big surfers every morning from 6 to 8 a.m. We start the, with a surf session before going to work. And uh, that day was a flat day. So uh, what we do when there is no wave, we're actually speaking with people around us. And I actually get to meet Magnus in the water. And that's all we actually shared our common frictions of traveling and working. And that's all we, we decided to actually start a platform together. So what gave you the confidence to stay in Bali when everybody is trying to go home? Not just tourists from Bali going home, but, you know, lots of tourists everywhere. I think um, a few factors were there to allow me to be comfortable. The fact that I had clients, recurring clients at the time, that, that was clearly allowing me to live there and to see what's going to happen. The fact that I had friends there already, 
and that were living in the same villa as me. So I was clearly feeling comfortable and, and safe. I would say as well, the fact that I, after one month being there, I really felt the energy of Bali and I really felt the kindness of the local people. And so that's also why I basically decided to stay there. There are the three factors that allowed me to say, okay, mom, dad, I'm not taking a repatriation flight. What did they say when you told them that you're not taking the repatriation flight? <laughs> Were they surprised? I mean, knowing I mean, you? <laughs> be honest, I didn't even tell them that there is a repatriation flight. Oh, <laughs> okay. I think one thing I was always curious about as well about you was, you know, you run Midstay. It allows a lot of people to travel remotely and find a community wherever they go, like no matter what destination they choose from the options on your website. So that also means you can also pick any place to travel to. So why do you stay in Bali instead of moving around? Yeah, I think I, I kind of understood something as well uh, while I was actually building a venture is that clearly I need my setup to be productive. No, it's not like before where I was on my own and, and dealing with one client. I'm dealing with a team of 15 people full time and, and a lot of calls either from, in, in the, from investors, either for new partnerships. And so clearly I need to have a proper setup, which I can't really afford to uh, go from one place to the other, even though I'm actually still um, quite showing. Last week I was in Lombok, two weeks ago I was in Sumbawa, and I have my few spots that I know that I can clearly take my computer and, and take my bike and surfboard and going from island to island by ferry and just settle in a few days there to take my calls. But indeed, uh, I've been slowing down a bit the travels, but clearly I'm in a in a feeling currently, to be very honest and transparent, that I am just craving of new uh, experiences and travels. So I think it will just it will just come back very soon. It's just that I needed this uh, first years to actually settle the business, and then I'll I'll make make sure that I'm more comfortable to go in the next uh, travel and experiences. But I think it's also a good thing, right? It shows that you know, as a founder, you can also have that flexibility of working from the beach and making it work, and that's your permanent setup. Like also that being like what they call a quote-unquote digital nomad if they still use that word nowadays doesn't mean you have to keep moving around right because I feel like lots of people say I'm going to be a digital nomad and they have this like list of places they're going to hop around like between multiple places maybe once every how many weeks once every month like I've been seeing that around and I think it also shows that you don't have to keep moving you can just pick a place and stay there yeah I think there is a you know this a nice terms that a lot of people know are using and it's called slow man, where actually at the end, you, you don't want to be that kind of like fast tourist and that is going from one place to the other every two, two, three days. Firstly, it's impacting a lot of your productivity. And secondly, you are not really someone that is emerging yourself with the local community, which at the end, that is why I like to travel and work in, in a new place is that I'm clearly facing and being surrounded with the local, trying to, to you know, to learn a few words in their local language, trying their food, trying their, you know, uh, just smelling this, uh, smells and, and different things that you, you, you go in different countries, you know, like I'm really sensitive to all that, to just this kind of small details. And, and what I really like then when I do that is like during the weekend and just taking my camera, that is a hidden hobby that I didn't speak about, but I really like to take portraits of people around me and like hidden streets, you know, photography. Uh, if you want, I could, I could send you the link after. Yes. Uh, but I've done that quite a lot and I've been actually missing it because in, in, in Indonesia, I kind of uh, lost that freedom of doing it. Uh, just because I actually, I think and that's actually a good thing. It's just that I feel much more own here. Mm. I really feel based here. And then I feel that people around me are not foreigner. They are like my lookalike. Uh, so I, I maybe don't find as many interesting things as I was when I was traveling to Peru, uh, Bolivia, uh, Nepal, uh, all that. And I have beautiful 
headshot pictures of these locals over there. Oh yeah, I think that's a good point because even if you love your surroundings, just because it's not so new anymore, you can't really take pictures as many times because everything kind of looks like the same as what you saw yesterday. So it's hard to find a subject. <laughs> exactly, yeah. really. But you've been in Bali for eight over 18 months. Like how long has it been? So now it's been since uh, February 2020. So it's three years. Three, three years. years and a few months. Yeah. So how local do you feel now after living there set and, and like really settling your life in there nowadays? So yes, the kid bass Indonesia. So I can speak. Oh a wow! Bit. <laughs> how did you learn? But, did you uh, practice in like real life, or do you take like classes? I did. I did. No, I did, and I did a, a bit of Duolingo as well. But I did uh, practice uh, quite a lot when I, whenever I'm going to the shop, I'm going to take food, I'm going, and so that's also what I really like. And you know, like being able to to, to speak a, a few words and and being able to interact with the people. And no, I can actually have a small conversation with, with the locals. It's super important because like. It just shows them that you're you're very interested about them, and you are you get to know the the, the local culture and all that. And I think this is just really important to show that you're not just a, a, small, a tourist that is passing back for a few days; that you're just enjoying uh, the facilities and and the beautiful landscape of Bali, and then just running the place and, and buy. Now I'm here actually to stay, and I'm very happy to contribute uh, to the community. And, and so yeah, that that shows that I feel. So let's talk about midstay. I'm really curious, like how do people usually find you? Do they usually look for you because they you know, want to work in, let's say, Boracay for like two months? Or do they usually look for you guys because they want to work somewhere for two months and they don't know where? Or is it usually for the retreats? So mainly on the B2C side, as uh, for now, we are we switch into something much more social where we're actually allowing people to connect to each other. And it's mainly about that. It's mainly about like remote workers that are willing to have a supportive network, that are willing to grow and to not feel isolated when they, whenever they feel, uh, whenever they work remotely. And to have just like a travel buddies or just someone that they can have an after work after a long day of work or someone to have a lunch, to share a coffee. And so it's really about like bringing that colleague's environment that they lost by taking the suitcase and going abroad. So it's really about creating this kind of like micro community and bringing them in small groups. So every week that allows them to connect with like-minded people around them. And so the system is really made in a way that based on your profile, we actually connect you with people that could be your colleague uh, if you were in the same company. Oh, that's interesting. So like, how does it usually work? Do you have to pick your location first, like I want to work from this location, or do you recommend locations also? So we, we have a few uh, entrance door, but in most of the time people are actually, I mean, the acquisition sessionals are most of the time already targeted. So people mm -hmm. are most of the time there already. So they sign up and they tell us where they are. And from the current state, they're actually being matched with other remote workers that are also around them. That allows them basically to connect with other foreigners that are in the same situation as, as them, or something that I love, we also see a lot of use cases where people from San Francisco, for example, being in the tech industry, being a software engineer, is actually connecting someone that is from Jakarta, but that is also living in Bali for a few weeks. Oh. And so at the end, they are in the same industry of field and they have a lot to speak about to each other. Mm. And that's something that I like to highlight, which is we like to call that a brain game. It's a sharing knowledge. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm super proud and I want to actually put that more and more because this sharing in between cultures is so important for me. And then for the B2B side, like how does it usually work? What do you guys do? I think it's running like retreats for companies, right? Exactly. So indeed, like B2B has been quite uh, surprising because we were not at all focusing on the B2B side at the beginning. 
So we launched Midstay in, in June 2022, only B2C focused with a platform only focusing in Bali. So it's been only a few months, we are now uh, global. And in September, October of 2022, we started to experiment a few you know, ads on LinkedIn, sensing how actually the market was reacting by offering different kinds of services, which at the, at the beginning we didn't have at all. And so we are actually seeing that Team Retreats was a service that was highly demanded uh, by companies that were struggling. Because why? Because actually they were out of the COVID and they allowed remote working, they allowed all these benefits. Employees understood that these benefits, they don't want to lose it anymore. They, they actually are not able, they are able to have more flexibility. They are able to not commute as much as they were before. So they want to keep that uh, benefits. And companies either know are allowing remote first or are asking the employees to come back a few days a week at the office, which in other words, we call that hybrid work. So hybrid work is still providing some changes for companies, which we see that CEO, HR, team lead, head of department, they are all struggling for the same thing which basically is bringing their whole team together at the office because all the time there is one that is out or they want to have that remote work that day, et cetera. So they never had that trigger for all the employees to be at the same time at the office. And so team retreats allows that because it's clearly another benefit for them. Like, look, we're going to have good time in a, in a villa in Bali or in a hotel in Bangkok or in a, in a place in Varokai in Philippines. And at the end, it's not only about working. It's, uh, it's about team bonding. It's about doing activities together, doing a cooking class, doing surf lesson doing a hiking of a volcano. And I think these things are why people and companies are actually coming to us is because they want to have that kind of end-to-end offering where Midstay is allowing them to, based on their goal, because there is different goal, it could be employee onboarding, it could be annual planning, could be design sprint, could be a sales strategy, a kickoff meeting. And so all these different goals, they come to us and from that we are tailoring a proposal based on their goal, the destination of departure of each of the employees as well. And so we'll find the best destination, the cheapest for them to bring all the employees together. And then we'll book all the flights. We'll, we'll manage with all partners for the venue as well. Having a perfect fitting venue for the team needs, uh, we, either with meeting room, either with other um, facilities for like the, the sport or the activities we put in place. And then we also have business workshop facilitators. We have more than 50 people around Association that are experts in different topics. And based on the goal of the company, we can also bring them in in the retreat to leverage the skills of the company. And so make sure that actually it's not only having a good time, it's actually investing in something, investing in their employees and investing in the long-term goals of the company. And not only that, they are also, when they actually invest in the team retreat, we also have a package which is content creation, where we also curate different videographer and photographer in each of the destinations, which allows them to have long-last memories with either photography and videography. And our team is actually also creating all the LinkedIn posts and Glassdoor posts that allows company in the future to attract the best talents thanks to their amazing company culture. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's really an all-in-one solution down to like picking the places, booking the flights, even bringing in like speakers and even putting things on Glassdoor. That one I did not expect. <laughs> ah, we like to green details. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Okay. That's very cool. So I think one of the things that I also saw a lot when I was searching about you in Midstay, it's that having something like Midstay helps people prevent that loneliness of going to a new place, traveling to a new place, like let's say for a month and really starting from scratch, right? So, I mean, you have done that many times. You've moved across Belgium, so that's local, but you've also moved to San Francisco for a while, um, York for a while and, you know, Bali. So what does that loneliness feel like from your experience? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And 
all the time I was basically struggling to be able to find these people that are complementary to me because I think at the back of my head all the time I wanted to meet people that were like Magnus, the, the co-founder that I found here. Uh, I always wanted, because at the back of my head, I wanted to launch my own baby. I wanted to launch my own startup. That's also why I've been so close to these founders in San Francisco and New York, is because I wanted to learn as much as possible from them to one day launch my own thing. Um, and if I had Midster at that time, I would have plugged in and I would have just looked about people in the software industry. And I would have looked for people at this age, speaking that language, whatever, that they've been traveling in these countries, so or that has that lifestyle into the surfing mode. So all, all these creatures are things you can filter out on Midstay, and you can see who are the people around you, and you can start connecting with them. And then Midstay is even going further, is actually suggesting you places to meet at equal distances with various topics that you could actually go for based on each of the profiles. And this is a 101 approach, but then we also have that colleague environment approach where every week I am actually pulled in every week a new group of colleagues of the week, which could be my colleague if Midstay was not in Indonesia based in, in real life. Even though we don't have office, actually, all the employees are in, in Java, so I'm not in Java, I'm not having my colleagues here. So I'm replacing them with other people in Bali here. So one thing I'm curious about is like when you were lonely, when you had just arrived in Bali or just arrived in San Francisco, what was the challenge? Was it that, okay, I don't know anybody and I don't know where to meet people? Or is it that you're actually meeting people, but every person just didn't really click with you? Yeah, I think that's the second option. And I think San Francisco is maybe not the, the best uh, case because indeed at the time, San Francisco, you had like tons of events to attend. Mm. And so I was mostly uh, able to who attend these events and connect with people, but they were not the type of people I was looking for at the time with the mm. proper goal and objective I had in mind. So that made it like quite complicated. And as well, after all, do you actually keep contact or do you keep uh, having a recurring uh, visit? Because maybe this guy is maybe not having the same objective as you had in mind. So it's quite complicated to actually click on that common objective. And that's also what we actually asked in the very first thing on this day mm. when you sign up as an individual is like, what's your objective? And we define 10 objectives that most of the remote workers are looking to connect with other people. And thanks to that, we can also match them based on a common objective. So like the challenge also is that when you meet someone for the first time, maybe you didn't really connect, maybe you did. But I think I've read somewhere that friendships aren't really always just built on the connection. Sometimes it takes a lot of time of meeting before you actually realize like, hey, this person actually could be my best friend or a really close friend. And that's one of the things that you're solving, right? By like adding those suggested meeting point to make it easier for people to meet again. Exactly. We want basically to break all the friction that happen whenever you go from online to offline. And I think we're really at the beginning. Huh? We are we are clearly in iteration, product discovery still with the B2C. Uh, and, and that's clearly where we want to head it. But we are just listening very much our users, being super close to them. And that's how we actually end up doubling down on that social platform where at the beginning, the new midstay was much more about services integrated for a whole marketplace. But when the food that 80% of our customers were coming on Midstay and sending it there to meet like-minded people around them because on the map they could see people around them. So they were not using co-working space and all that we actually implemented at the beginning. So that's clearly where it's been the shift. And early in 2023, we completely doubling down on that social aspect. And we are still, I mean, being super humble, still at the beginning and, and learning a lot and super open to all the, the feedback we're gathering, but we strongly believe that there is something to do because firstly, this is the, like 90% of the feedback coming from our users, it's about feeling lonely, feeling, feeling isolated. Um, they want to break that and they want to, to get some kind of like working, uh, leisure stuff after work, right? So what's happening after work normally in big cities, you got after work, you got 
got some lunch, he got some coffee break, uh, time machine talk, you know, and, and he stopped at the machine and he started talking with the people. You don't have that anymore, right? You're working from home. So people are missing that. And, and that's what we are trying to recreate and recreating the environment of work without being at the office. I think this is also fascinating because I feel like what I've been hearing a lot of is that people actually generally feel a lot more lonely now, not just in travels, but just like at work or when they get home or like in general, I feel like even the younger generation now or people working today are just feeling lonelier than ever. And it's just surprising that you would actually find a solution to that loneliness by traveling to a totally new place, to people you don't know, and in an environment that is probably very spontaneous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed, maybe I am. <laughs> How has like building a company like yours helped you create like more personal connections? Because you are sort of connecting people as your job. Who are the people that have been most interesting or the best connections that you've made by living there in Bali? I think uh, w- one of the best connections I made it's why surfing. I think like lifestyle is bringing people together, like common interest is bringing people together. And quite interestingly, actually, most of the people here, and that's what also I really like about living here in Bali, is the fact that we don't care about the age. Like we don't care. One of my best friends here is a DJ producer, a French producer uh, from Paris that is now living here and got stuck as well at the same time as me. I got to meet him like two, three months after I, I got stuck here. And he's uh, 20 years older than me, and we don't really care at all. And I, most of the time, I forget about that. Whenever like, I forget until the time I'm uh, celebrating his birthday, I'm like, oh, shit, bro, you're 47. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then it happened. But in, indeed, like, it's just so nice because you, you get to be surrounded with people that have been experiencing already quite a lot. I'm, to be honest, one of the youngest here around. And that's what really I really like because I got to surround myself with very interesting people that got already quite a lot of experiences. and. And yeah, and learning from them, and um, and then I guess uh, one of the nicest connection I had was uh, was this guy called View. Do you see that people are wanting to travel now more because they want to make personal connections, or do you think that it's still the same motivation of being in a new place, but with the added bonus of making friends? I think honestly, like both um, are combining more and more. I would say it's really? either one or the other. And that's also what we are trying to do with Midstay is that we are trying to bring some kind of like social travel, you know, mm-hmm. where actually you're able to move from one place to the other, not only to be inspired by the place that doesn't move, but by also the people that are constantly moving. Yeah. And that's, I think, the body of it is that if we're able to actually know one individual that is moving from one place to the other and connect them with very interesting people that are also moving from one place to the other, but at that one point are crossing the path and we're able to make a match. At that time, that makes me quite happy and, and grateful for, for doing it because I do believe that this is what's interesting while, while traveling. And, and if we're able actually to control that a bit, it will actually make it even better and makes people even less lonely, I guess. Maybe one day traveling will really be the one of the main solutions to loneliness. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Let's uh, finger crossed. <laughs> so I have one question about your founder experience. What has been the most difficult point of building Midstay for you? Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest challenges has been to stay focused, laser focused on one single value proposition we were offering. And that comes back to you know the first solution we launched in June 2022, where we were actually willing to offer different kind of services, a tool of suite for uh, nomads that are actually coming in a new place, relocating which means accommodation, visa, co-working space, and this social layer, which at the end we understood was the factor why, why people were coming to Midstay. 
So that's why we decided and we did a product review with my co-founder Magnus at the end of the year 2022 to just understand, okay, where do we improve? We feel we are not completely nailing it here. And the, the challenge and the decision has been to, okay, let's remove and hide at least for now everything else. And let's just focus on, on social. Just like that, the user is actually and the customer are much more clear on what we're offering. But not only the users, actually the team, the full team as well behind us is also knows exactly where we're going. And the message, like the, the finally the global message and the vision we're actually offering, it's super simple. It's like we're bringing remote workers to, together to beat isolation that remote working is actually bringing. And, and that brings as well the two business together, the B2C and the B2B, because we enabling, we enable uh, the companies to bring their colleagues together. So again, we're actually connecting professionals together. Same with the B2C. When people from the team which is, are coming back home, they can still use Meet actually because they lost their colleagues environment that they had for a few days in the team which is, but they can still recreate it with our platform. So that makes it much easier to understand. And I guess like that was one of the biggest challenge. And I think one of the biggest trap as a founder we're getting into uh, at the beginning is that we want to do everything. And we think and we feel that we can do everything, which at the end, it's just much better to focus and laser and just, yeah, being laser focused on, on one single thing that we do well, rather than doing everything that we do out. And I guess this is the last question I have before we close. And I ask this question to everyone I speak with on the podcast, and that's outside of work, what's one thing that you want to achieve in your personal life? And for the timeline, it doesn't have to be something you achieve this month, this year, or even in the next 10 years. But what's top of mind uh, when I ask you that question? What actually would, would be super cool is that um, basically bringing this uh, a kind of like a system of a new kind of school where people that are traveling in a new place are able to teach kids of my age whenever I actually found that school CAD that were able to be taught by leaders of the industry, uh, being able to actually give back to the community of where people are actually going and traveling. I think bringing that kind of, I mean, that's clearly physical. It's not a tech product, but basically having a kind of a facility where people can just give back a bit of their free time to teach something uh, to, to people that are eager to learn uh, would be would be super cool. So I'll need to develop this idea. Oh, well, that sounds amazing. I think it's something that I can already picture you traveling to a certain country and you see that there's a facility there um, and then you can spend some time just teaching. And then while you're there, you do a mix of your work, you do a mix of giving back, and you do a mix of enjoying your time. <laughs> let's, let's do it together. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Florian. It was so great having you. I really did enjoy. You have such a fun story. <laughs> Likewise, Amanda. It was great to meet you finally in real. I mean, real. <laughs> uh, sort of real. <laughs> <laughs> On Zoom. <laughs>